0: Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today's Monday, June 15th. Statues are coming down, tech stocks are going up, and we're focused on the NBA, as it balances between being a business and a vehicle for social change. Last week, it seemed that the National Basketball Association had figured out its way back from COVID-19, with both owners and players agreeing to resume games next month within the cocoon of Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Now, though, those plans are in doubt as disagreements have emerged among NBA players over what Orlando could mean to the growing movement for racial justice and equality in America. Some players believe that reviving the season will draw attention away from the protests and discussions, while others believe that playing will provide them with a louder bullhorn, or at least not detract from the one they already have. Count in that latter group, LeBron James, who last week launched a nonprofit called More Than a Vote which aims to inspire African-Americans to register to vote and then cast ballots in November. The bottom line is that lots of companies and organizations like to refer to themselves now as platforms. For the NBA, that term is proving very, very complicated. To learn where things move from here, we'll talk to Jalen Rose, a former NBA star and current ESPN personality who's also a founding member of More Than a Vote. That conversation in 20 seconds. We're joined now by Jalen Rose. Let's start with More Than a Vote. How did you get involved and why did you get involved?
1: LeBron reached out. And as somebody that's not only a superstar athlete, but somebody that's socially and politically conscious and uses his voice for change when he can, and let me know the initiative about More Than a Vote and what its goals were, that conversation became a microcosm about 2008 and how we were so enthusiastic And rightfully so about the candidacy of barack obama and the opportunity to have him be elected the first black president of the united states and our numbers were outstanding in 2008 and they were a lot less in 2016 and there will be people especially working in a sports realm to try to thin this overly political i feel like this is basic You live in America. Voting is your right. You should have the opportunity to do so. Now, the conditions, inner city versus the suburbs have been deplorable in a lot of places. seems like in the suburbs, the lines aren't as long. The machines work. You have younger support staff there to help with the technology. But in the inner city, you get just the opposite. Long lines. You get finally to the front of the polling and the ballot doesn't work. You have people working there that sometimes that are elderly, that aren't as familiar with the technology. The other thing is mail-in voting. I always wonder a couple of things. One, we all have cell phones. They're called smartphones. I would think we should be able to vote on them. But since we can't, we want to make sure that all people understand that every option is available to them. And it's important for them not to be discouraged, even when you see the person who wins the popular vote won't necessarily be president.
0: When you look at the difference between, say, 2008 compared to 2016, and when you look into 2020, do you feel, was it in 16 from your perspective, was it an enthusiasm gap or was it a structural gap in some of the things you talk about, the longer lines, etc., in terms of what you guys really want to accomplish going into November?
1: The entire structure has been an imbalanced. And... There are a lot of people talking about changing the system, but that's literally impossible because it was built this way. Now, the importance is how can you navigate it for your voice to be heard? And there is something that's called an electoral college that can be discouraging to citizens when you get out and vote. And pretty sure if you put all of the pictures of people who represent the electoral college, pretty sure they look a lot more alike than not.
0: Jalen, your involvement in this, how much of it is looking nationally and how much of it is specific to Detroit and Michigan, which is where you're from?
1: It's specific to Detroit. That's my hometown. That's where I'm going to own my portion of more than the vote. And as the founder of a charter high school that has 400 high schoolers, as well as uh, 500 plus students that are in college as well, not only to rally them, but to rally everyone in the Detroit metropolitan area. Give them an opportunity to vote and let their voices be heard and understand with confidence that you can go and vote or mail in your ballot, and it's going to be legitimized.
0: Jalen, you talked about this question of how political this is or isn't. Not for players per se, but when you think of the NBA, when you think of ESPN, where you work, how careful do you feel you, current players, LeBron and others, have to be to not necessarily be, not political per se, but partisan? Or does that not necessarily matter?
1: Respectfully, I don't care at all. And I hope nobody else that's affiliated with this cares as well. Your question is honest, and I appreciate how you asked it. And you're right. It's unfortunate when you're an athlete, people only want to watch you play basketball. And they don't care about your social or political beliefs or your ideas about things in society or how your people have been oppressed or racism. And it gets veiled in coded words, and we've gotten so very used to them terms like shut up and dribble or stick to sports or that a show is so woke that It's a bad thing when really you're just trying to empower people. That's not a political stance in any way, shape, or form. We're not telling them who to vote for. We're making sure that they vote.
0: There seems to be a fissure between the players right now, or at least some players, over whether playing in this Orlando situation, whether that would kind of give them a larger platform to talk about things like racial equality, voting rights, et cetera, or if by playing they'd actually be distracting from that message. Where do you come down on that?
1: I'm torn because I understand the magnitude of what's taking place in our country and the civil unrest that continues to happen. And it really pains me during the pandemic and while the coronavirus and a lot of cases in cities and states, cases continue to spike. It's so very important to those that have been oppressed to let their voices be heard various manners, including protesting, that anybody that believes playing basketball won't become a distraction is it being honest. Because we would still talk about LeBron James, but a portion of that LeBron would be points, rebounds, and assists if he was playing basketball. That's an absolute fact. Now, sometimes distractions can be welcoming because, to your point, you can also use that stage in order to further a message and display it internationally. But I want to make sure I say that many people feel like the best chance for players to have the most visibility will be in Orlando. And I disagree with that because when you're quarantined, you're not mobile. And so... Yes, you'll still be able to use social media, and yes, you'll still be able to talk to a media, but it's going to be a version of the media that normally covers the NBA Finals. And that's coming from somebody that's worked on television and covered it every year since 2002. It's going to be different. And if not playing and locking arms forces the media to continue to talk about the civil unrest and the things that the players hope to change and get accomplished, it actually is a stronger message not to play. But you got to remember, they love the game. It's fun. They've also been with their families and not being able to exercise properly as they're used to and be around their teammates and that type of thing. So there's going to be those who love the game that just can't wait to play basketball because that's what they like to do. They woke up breathing this morning. But I want to make sure I press pause on the idea that LeBron... And many of these top-level athletes will be more effective while being quarantined on that stage.
0: Do you think they will play in Orlando?
1: Yes, I believe there will be NBA basketball.
0: Jalen Rose, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: I appreciate the love. Thanks a lot.
0: Welcome back. What we're watching today is the Supreme Court, which came down with two notable rulings and has several more expected later in the week. One of the already decided cases was a 6-3 decision that bars companies from firing or otherwise discriminating against employees on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. The other was to uphold a lower court ruling permitting so-called sanctuary cities whereby local governments can limit the cooperation between local law enforcement and federal immigration authorities. Looking forward, expect yet another major immigration-related ruling, as the court will determine if the DACA program is legal. Plus another case about whether or not employers can deny contraception coverage to female employees based on moral or religious grounds. We're also watching two big numbers expected this week. May retail sales, which everyone thinks will be bad, but not as bad as April's numbers. And May housing sales, which were surprisingly strong in April. And finally, we're watching for bikes. Not on the roads, but in the stores. The COVID pandemic sparked a U.S. bike sales surge not seen since the oil crisis of the late 1970s, with major retailers like Walmart and Target totally out of stock. And this could last for months, particularly given that most bikes sold here are made in China, where production only recently restarted. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Nature Photography Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.